and welcome to the Campaign Podcast, where we talk about advertising, media and marketing. I'm Campaign's Deputy News Editor, Simon Gwynn, taking over hosting duties and coming to you on Wednesday from the beautiful country of Scotland, which until now has categorically not been experiencing anything that might be described as a heat wave. The thunderstorms have been and gone though, and today it's a lovely balmy 25 degrees, which I imagine some of our listeners further south will be rather envious of. Later in the show, I'll be chatting to my colleague Jeremy Lee to discuss the week's other news and the latest ads. But first, I'm joined by three esteemed guests to talk about the new IPA report on the future of account management. We'll be aiming to find out whether there really is a crisis for the discipline, and if so, what agencies should be doing to try and rectify the situation. First, I'd like to welcome Caroline Foster-Kenny, Global Chief Client Officer at Wonderman Thompson. Caroline wrote a piece for Campaign last week in which she made the case that account managers need to think of themselves as strategic growth partners for their clients. Morning, Caroline. Thanks for joining us. Morning. Good to be here. Um, so you've only been in, in your position at Wonderman Thompson for, is it, is it two months? Yeah, exactly. I'm two months in. Uh, so still early days and it's been a bit surreal joining a new company and doing a new role. But so far, so good. And how's it been starting your, your job in, in the middle of a pandemic? It's been good, but but somewhat surreal. Um, being two months in now, um, I was speaking to another colleague who's recently joined, and they likened it to be you've been given the keys and you're looking through the keyhole, but you can't quite get fully stuck in there. And you can see all this brilliant stuff through the keyhole. But um, I'm actually speaking from the office, and it's brilliant to be in here and finally actually meeting in real life with, with colleagues. So it's good. So far, so good. Great. Well, that must make a nice change from being uh, stuck at home all day. And cooler, a lot cooler than my uh, stuffy office at home. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful air conditioning. Um, So next we have Ed Palmer, whose day job is managing director of St. Luke's. uh, But as co-chair of the IPA client relationship group, Ed is one of the brains behind the report that's been provoking so much interest. Morning, Ed. Morning, Simon. How are you? Uh, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, not not too bad at all. As I said, though, um, I, I can't really relate to most of the people I've been speaking to uh, through uh, through work this week because it's been cold and rainy here in Glasgow where I'm uh, staying at the moment. Um, but how's it been going for you? Um, yeah, good. I mean, it's been um, amazingly busy these last few months, uh, and we uh, we're also starting to go back to the office. So I'm also uh, benefiting from a bit of air conditioning, and, and in fact, we've got a, a video village. Uh, uh, in the agency at the moment. So there is uh, a shoot happening remotely uh, and um, clients and account team are viewing it from, from the agency here. So this is, this is the brave new world. Great. And, and how, um, how up for returning to the office are most of your team? Uh, well, it's a good question. And we are, uh, we are surveying on a regular basis how uh, our people are feeling. Funnily enough, just today, I would say, you know, we've got a good sort of 20% of 20, 25% of the office coming back in. We're actually uh, fortunate enough to be uh, timing uh, an office move with uh, with this pandemic. So it's given us a fantastic opportunity to completely rethink what the office is for, um, what we're coming in for, and to design the space around a new way of working. That, that's a whole whole different topic, but but it's a really exciting time for us. Great, definitely a, a really exciting new era for you then. Um, and uh, last but not least, I'd like to welcome Ben Colfield from Mother, um, an agency that famously decided it was going to manage without traditional account managers when it was founded back in 1996. Uh, morning, Ben. Hi, Simon. How are you? Uh, good, thank you. Yeah, and, and you? I'm all right. To be honest, I wish I was in Scotland with you right now. Uh, 
A little bit of rain and kind of breeze feels feels quite attractive. It's not been particularly wonderful, actually. It has been somewhat kind of humid and and uh, unpleasant, but uh, none of, none of the uh, overwhelming heat. That's that's for sure. Um, so, Ben, your, your job title is head of mothering. Um, so, uh, for those who who haven't seen inside the way that mother operates, how does that differ from a kind of traditional account management role? I, I mean, in truth, I, I think we have to draw a distinction between. Um, good modern progressive account management and old school account management and uh, i mean i've only been at mother for three or four years four years actually and and i say to people still i don't feel that the i don't feel that mothering as we call it at mother is that different from the kind of account management that you would find in a good modern progressive agency it's a little bit different because obviously we we infuse it uh with our agency values but fundamentally, it's not that different. It's modern progressive account management. Yeah. So it's uh, the the terminology that you use. Then uh, would you see that as a kind of statement of intent? I think it's about you know firstly, uh, at the risk of pointing out the obvious, it, it falls neatly out of our agency name. But but we call it mothering because fundamentally, when we think about what we expect our uh, account people to do. It's about creating the right environment for for great people, great work to flourish, and it's about nurturing. And in many respects, it's what any good mother does, right? Yeah, um, I suppose so. Uh, Great. Okay, thanks, Ben. So we'll hear more from you and from Caroline very shortly. But uh, Ed, uh, I'd like to ask you now if you could just quickly fill our listeners in on what it is that we're talking about today, which is the IPA report on the future of account management. Sure. Yeah. Well, so a bit of background first. So I'm the co-chair of the client relationship group at the IPA. And um, it's based on a pretty simple premise, really, which is that um, the better the relationship between client and agency, the better chance you've got of having a a good outcome for both client and agency. So the group exists to support and promote the value of client relationships and and the people whose job it is to to build those relationships. So probably about nine months ago, I guess now, it struck us that we didn't really have a clear view about how agencies and and particularly clients viewed the discipline. And so much has has changed over the last five, 10 years, and and particularly in the last few months that we, we wanted to know whether whether it was still fit for purpose and 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 just really start a debate and and I guess on that last point uh, it looks like we've had some success we didn't really have a a really full robust picture so that's why we commissioned Hall and Partners who very kindly did uh, the uh, survey amongst um, a whole host of senior uh, agency and, and client people um, and uh, that gave us a much more full. Uh, a rounded picture of the survey. I, I have to say the fieldwork um, finished before the pandemic, but I think as we say in the report, what, what the pandemic's done is really just shined more of a spotlight on the discipline. I think there's been some huge positives for, for account handling or relationship builders as a, as a whole during the pandemic. I think you know we've, we've had some clues, certainly from people who measure client relationships uh, uh, consultants that, that um, you know really great account handling has, has absolutely shone uh, through that period, you know there were there was a perception, particularly amongst clients, that the, the value has 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 diminished uh, over time, and um, and and this this really is about prompting a debate about is that right, and if it is right, how does it need to change? Okay, um, thanks for that. So so um, uh, I think one of the responses we've seen from a number of uh, people in the industry on on Twitter and elsewhere 
um, suggest that it, this the issue isn't necessarily entirely about uh, changes in the role over time. It's about the kind of eternal issue of, of good versus bad account management and the fact that um, basically some agencies, some people are better at their jobs than others and have a, a better way of approaching things. Caroline, uh, you wrote a really interesting uh, piece for campaign laying out your idea of what good account management should look like. Would you agree that this is really a kind of good versus bad thing? Um, I, I think to a degree. I mean, having, when I first read um, read that piece, and then I went and went to the IPA and sort of read the full uh, full response, it was yeah, it was bleak reading for sure, and disappointing in a way because I I, I actually think the role of account management, and I probably when I think about account management, I'm f- going to focus a bit more on client leadership. When I think about that. I think it's never been such an important role as it is now because it's so complex out there and the pressures that our clients are under, the pressures the agency is on, um, you know, it's a critical role. Um, and it's one, I think, that you know, as our full marketing ecosystem continues to expand, it, it's, it's really tough for client leaders and account management to be across everything. But I think it's at a time when clients are requiring them to be across everything. And um, often do want one focal point that can join everything up. So I thought, wow, I mean, this really is, uh, it was, it did seem pretty negative. I think partly it's to do with good and bad account management, but I think it's also the role genuinely is evolving and needs to evolve. Um, You know, as I think we as agencies are able to, um, continue, but I think increasingly show how we can help grow clients' business. I think that really is shifting the role as well of the client leader so that they need to be a lot more grounded in less about the agency and the agency's work, which of course it's their role to enable that, but to also really ensure that they're lockstep with the client on their business objectives, addressing their business issues. Uh, where, where do you think we should be um, laying the blame uh, when things aren't working as well as they uh, as they should be? Um, uh, it, is it really about uh, a lack of uh, the, the right kind of leadership in it within agencies? Um, or um, uh, are we not always seeing the right attitudes from people going into the uh, into the field? Yeah. Um, For me, I don't know if it's about laying the blame. Um, Like I said, I think it's a very difficult job um, that is evolving very fast. Um, And perhaps some agencies are more progressive uh, than others um, and are really sort of leading the way in that. But I know some of the feedback was we need to get a lot more business and financially savvy. You know, so are we making sure that we're investing in our client leaders and account management to ensure that you know they are fully up to speed on all the different parts of, of our ecosystem, but also some of these new skill sets around business, around commercial, um, and you know we need to be investing in our client leaders in that development. Mm. Um, uh, okay, uh, yeah, so you, you, you touched on um, uh, business skills and, uh, and know-how there. Uh, so uh, another uh, piece that we've run on campaign in the last week is from uh, Jennifer Black, who's the Managing Director at Habas London. Uh, and she argued that there needs to be an industry-wide uh, crash course for account managers on business and finance to allow them to actually grapple with the, the, uh, the knowledge uh, and understanding of their client's business to perform the role effectively. Um, is that something that you'd support? 
Um, I think those skill sets are very important, as I said. Um, whether it needs to be industry-wide is, is perhaps something else. Um, but yeah, I'm very supportive that we need to develop those. And I think it's, what for me is quite interesting, you know, I observe quite a bit of a difference and maybe the, the background um, I've come out of the discipline of media agencies. Um, and uh, over the years, I really have observed a difference between media agencies um, and maybe some of the, the ad agencies, uh, digital creative agencies, uh, where media agencies, I think, tend to be and their client leaders are very commercially savvy. Maybe it's to do with and linked to the fact it's quite a complex uh, business model. Um, but I do see a difference there and a skill set that where maybe perhaps the media agencies are leading on um, and we're playing a bit of a catch up in those areas. Um, Ed, how about you? Do you, do you think um, some kind of uh, industry-wide course would help to improve the business understanding of, of people in account management? I suppose the first thing to say is uh, that there are still a load of phenomenally talented account handlers out there. And um, I, I know that the, the report has picked out on you know, some, of the, some of the challenges, from, particularly on the client side. Um, but, you know, to that earlier point, yes, there, there is definitely good and bad account management. What has changed, I suppose, that, that's, the, that's the interesting bit. And I think this point about um, a, a kind of a sprawl in the remit, you know, of, of account handling client businesses have become much more complex. The number of channels that, that the typical agency executes in uh, has become more complicated. And, you, you know, the, the, the kind of the old vision of the, of the account handlers being the kind of consummate generalist becoming harder and harder to sustain so so yes absolutely i think and 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 you're right i think it is it is more on creative agencies i think becoming more commercially savvy more business savvy and so i definitely would support um jennifer's view uh and in fact this is my sort of shameless plug the ipa here this is this is come at a really good time because they're they're about to launch um a brand new mini mba which they've done in partnership with the lse so it's it's a really kind of rock solid um grounding in in, in business issues so that, that's coming out soon but going back to the, the the previous point when there's so much more uh and, and i think particularly when uh, more junior account managers have to be more kind of operationally focused. They're stretched in so many different directions. And I think what, some of the tough decisions we have to make is what, what is the most valuable parts of account handling that we want um, people to focus on? And are we expecting too much of them? And, and, and are we kind of breeding a generation that are very, very operationally focused, haven't had their headspace or time to really understand uh, the, the bigger commercial issues. And, and, and then we, we sort of promote them into these kind of uh, leadership roles uh, and expect them to kind of magically kind of transform like a, like, in, like a you know, sort of butterfly from a chrysalis into this amazing sort of uh, business leader when, when they haven't had that, that, that grounding coming through the ranks. Okay, uh, Ben, coming over to you, uh, in your experience, what are the hardest skills for uh, account handlers to learn or to develop? I would echo what Ed and Caroline have said, and, and I think there's, there's definitely a job to be done to make sure that we equip our account people as they, as they develop their careers to be you know, proficient in uh, commercial and um, you know, financial and business terms and, and issues. And, and just to answer one of the other questions earlier, I think, you know, in premise, in, in principle, it's absolutely right that 
we find ways to train them. I think sometimes that training can, can come from internal sources. I think sometimes there's some tremendous resources internally that we can draw on to make sure that we equip people with the skills they need. Going back to your, your first question, though, I think, I think some of the difficult things to teach are, are some of the softer measures, I think. And one of the areas where account people can really, really add value, honing their active listening skills, uh, their ability to read a room, you know, creating space for the egalitarian exchange of views, helping meetings function as they should function and helping decision making. So I think, and, and then I think more broadly, I think account people can add huge value in setting the tone for uh, a team, the tone, the vibe, the chemistry for a team to be the best it can be. So uh, another thing I wanted to ask about Ben is you've obviously uh, given us a bit of a, an insight into how um, your structure works at, at Mother. Uh, one of the other agencies that we heard from on this subject was uh, Wilderness. We heard from um, Tom Jarvis, one of the co-founders. Wilderness is an agency that doesn't have uh, account managers or uh, anything like that role at all. Uh, the responsibilities instead are, are split between other members of the team, uh, including their creatives, strategists, uh, media planners. Um, do you think, uh, looking, Ben, at, at the kind of uh, description you've given of the value that um, account handlers can bring, do you think it needs to be a designated role at all? I think it, it partly depends on the size of the agency. Uh, it partly depends on what that agency's primary output is, and it partly depends on the profile of their clients. Um, I, I can see a situation where a smaller agency with a certain profile of clients could make do without account management, but I think that would be dependent on the strategists, the producers, uh, the creatives, having many of the skill sets that I would expect a great account person to have. I think once you, you get to a kind of a medium or a larger sized agency, which tends to come with having more corporate clients with quite rigid hierarchies and organizational structures, I think it, it then becomes very, very hard to service that piece of business if you don't have people who I would say are the experts doing that job. So uh, there's another uh, article that will be appearing on campaign. It hasn't gone live at the time of recording, but by the time the podcast is arriving on your phones, uh, you should be able to read this from our regular columnist, Paul Burke, um, who has also offered some uh, slightly contentious uh, thoughts on uh, why he believes the role has diminished. So just to share a couple of his, his ideas, uh, he says that um, agencies have been damaged by the, the rise of bean counters over the years and also uh, project managers. Uh, and he sees a big issue as a ch change of terminology. Um, instead of selling work to the client, account managers, account handlers were told to share work with the client. And he thinks that this has had a really detrimental impact on the authority of the role. Ed, uh, what do you make of Paul's thoughts there? Yeah, well, I mean, this is the other side of account handling, of course. I mean, there is a danger when you get, you know, into the finance and client side of the business that you, you're in danger of losing sight of what you're selling fundamentally as an agency, which is ideas. And unless you've got a deep and intuitive understanding of those ideas, you're not going to be as effective of selling them. And I, I, know, I, I don't I don't have any kind of allergy to the word selling. That is absolutely what we do. We give clients confidence to buy brilliant and brave work. Um, the, the terminology thing, I, but the one thing I would challenge with Paul is that I think there's a sort of uh, an assumption there that the kind of the sale happens in the room and you go in swashbuckling into that meeting room and you sell, 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 damn it. And 
you know, I, I believe that 80% of the work of selling an idea is done before you walk into that room. It's about building that relationship. It's about building that trust gradually over time, uh, getting that relationship to a point where that work has kind of almost sold itself before you before you go into the room. So, so yes, being persuasive, being articulate, all of those softer skills um, that Ben talked about is important. But let's not forget that really the selling is done before you get into the room. It's that building of a, of a relationship that makes that client trust you implicitly with um, with the creativity. If I could build on that point as well, because uh, I actually uh, uh, are very keen on bean counters uh, and project managers. I think they're absolutely essential. Um, we agree, you know, we're in the business of selling ideas, but I think it's more than that as well. And, and it's around creating solutions. Um, and I also think the way that we're creating those solutions and even the ideas uh, we're certainly seeing with several of our clients is that it, it is very much an iterative process, um, very collaborative, so often very much a co-creation with clients and other partners, other parts of the client's business too. Um, so you know, for me, when I think about it, yes, selling ideas, but beyond that um, as well. I find the notion of um, an account man being dispatched with an art bag to sell the work has been pretty outdated, to be honest. Um, and and that's where I, I feel... Uh, so I don't really agree with Paul's analysis. And I think the idea that it should be uh, the account person's sole responsibility to do that job, I find a bit strange. Um, and in a world where we all talk about collaboration, I think there should be collective responsibility across strategy, across creative, across production, and across account management. And, it, and whilst, I'm, whilst, I'm, whilst I'm being controversial, my view of one of, this, one of the issues we have is there's too many account people, actually. And I, I know it sounds a little bit like um, a turkey voting for Christmas here. If I think about some of the larger agencies I've come across, I'm, I'm baffled about how and why these teams of people can have so many account people with so many overlapping um, responsibilities. So for me, one of the issues we have, and this kind of ties in with, with old-fashioned account management, is we have, in certain agencies, bloated account management departments with far too many layers and far too many hierarchies. We've, we've, we've kind of brought it upon ourselves to a certain degree. And I think some of this is because there are just too many account people. You've kind of concurred then with some uh, some fairly contentious comments made a couple of years ago by Mark Pritchard, the, the chief brand officer at uh, Procter & Gamble, um, who said that there were far too many account managers. And, and when I pushed him on this at the time, he said he thought that creatives should make up around 75% of the staff resources in, in agencies. Um, we didn't quite get down to the, the nitty gritty of who he's in, including in that. But um, uh, do, you think, do you think that's about right? I don't agree with 75%, just to be clear. Okay, okay. Um, and, uh, and Ed, how, how about you? Well, I feel like I have to uh, leap to the defence of, of account handling here because I, I, I think, uh, you know, I don't know what the team sheet looked like uh, from, uh, from that P&G um, account, but um, I've been in situations where we have felt impelled to field a number of account people at a number of different levels simply because the client structure is so large and complex and there is an expectation that 
different levels in the client organization are marked off by different levels within the agency organization and 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 that's why you've ended up with those you know what looks on paper to be you know a fairly sort of bloated uh team chart so um i don't think it's i think it's slightly uh unfair and uh, and simplistic to say you know there's a whole bunch of sort of account barons out there just sort of stuffing the team sheet with account people to try and make a load of money it's often you know uh, it's often driven by client need um and then that then the, then the, the number of account people then get challenged by procurement but i w- i would i would counter that with the fact that it, it's our responsibility to demonstrate that there's a, a more efficient way to work right because i've been in that situation i've worked on big global bits of business where there's there's a, a Byzantine kind of organizational structure to mimic but if we keep just responding to uh, our clients' team structures, then I feel we're just compounding the problem. Yeah. I also think it's changing quite quickly as well. And I think, you know, the scrutiny that we're all under in terms of costs, um, in terms of, you know, working with our clients to gain efficiencies, working with procurement. So it, to me, that also feels a little bit outdated. Um, and, you know, maybe I, I think you know, that, that comment came a, a couple of years ago. I think all of us as agencies are having to really uh, look in detail around how we're structured, how we're resourced, how we're working with clients. So, so certainly in my experience, I'm not really seeing, feeling that fat in the agencies at all at the moment. Okay, uh, so Caroline, another um, point brought up in the report is is the problem of diversity, which as uh, we all know is, is an issue across most areas of, of uh, the agency sector. Um, I think that there's a, an understanding that that most people are, are starting to to agree with that, that you know um, having people from a diverse range of backgrounds does actually benefit business results. Uh, what can agencies do specifically to improve the diversity of their uh, account management teams? Yeah, I mean, it, clearly it, it's a big issue. We know that, and it, it ac- applies to account management as much as it does, I think, you know, right across uh, the spectrums and the roles of the agencies. Um, but I think this can be a, a really opportune time, particularly here in the UK, um, g- given what's going on with the pandemic at the moment. Um, and, you know, I think some of the government's initiatives that they're introducing, and I think there's even one from this month. Um, around the incentives they're going to put in place um, for for apprenticeships. I think this could be a real opportune moment for us as an industry to really sort of grab that opportunity and use that to bring in greater diversity into our agencies, into the industry. Maybe, you know, this is a turning point where we really can get a bit of momentum behind this. Ben, um, any steps that you'd like to see agencies taking to to um, get to grips with this issue? Yeah, I think the first thing to say is that uh, as an industry, I don't think we've done enough and we need to recognise that. Um, I think for me, the start point is is education, including, for example, educating ourselves around uh, notions of unconscious bias, for example. Um, So for me, the first step fundamentally is about making sure that we're all better educated and, and all better informed. Um, but there's much to do, and unfortunately, um, I think change can happen quickly, but fundamental change um, won't happen overnight. Mm. 
Okay, and then something I'd like to get all of your views on. Uh, it's a scary time for anyone, I think, to be starting a career at the moment. So for people who are looking at, at going into um, uh, the agency sector and uh, have their eyes on a, an account handling position, um, what kind of things do they need to keep in mind in order to uh, uh, improve their chances of, of getting uh, the job that they're after and to, to be as, uh, as strong a contributor to their teams as possible? But maybe if I, I don't mind starting with that, I mean, I think despite, you know, the the bad rap um, that often account management gets and sometimes uh, the agencies, um, I do think account management are often the unsung heroes. And it, it's there's probably never been such a tougher time as now to do that job. But at the same time, I think there's never been such an exciting time to do that job. It's so incredible possible. So I, I think it's a very exciting career uh, to enter into. Um, and, and it is the one thing that I'd call out for those considering going into that is around ensuring you have a growth mindset um, and really sort of open for learning, open uh, for change. Ben, if you were offering advice to, uh, you know, uh, maybe a 22 year old, uh, is it a career that you'd recommend at the moment? I, I would absolutely recommend it. And I think it's more important than ever that we we do a good job of demonstrating the value and and the wonder that's involved in working uh, in advertising, actually, because we're losing a lot of talent at the moment to to startups, to, to big media companies, to tech companies. And I think it's more important than ever that we remind people what a fun, stimulating, sparky, nurturing, wonderful business it is, to be honest. I still believe as I have since I started working in account management, that it, it's the best business to be in. Okay, and uh, Ed, I just want to come to you to uh, close. Um, what's the one thing that you'd like your colleagues in the industry to take from this report? They need to think long-term about their careers and about the careers mm. of people that are reporting into them. You know, you cannot uh, magically transform overnight, as I said. This is, a co- this is a constant work in progress. Think three, four, five years ahead. Uh, and that's that's the way to become a really brilliant future leader. Great. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have. Um, thank you very much to Ben Colfield, Ed Palmer, and Caroline Foster Kenny. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So now I'm joined by Campaigns Consulting Editor Jeremy Lee to talk about another of last week's big news stories, and in true campaign podcast fashion, to give us his verdict on a couple of the latest ads. Uh, hi there, Jez. Uh, have you managed to avoid melting? No, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> How about you? You're in Scotland, though, aren't you? I am, yeah. It's actually beautiful sunshine today. Um, when I uh, recorded the other part of the call earlier today, um, it, it's been pretty miserable so far, but we're, we seem to be having a brief uh, window of summer. But you can have the heat. You're welcome to it. <laughs> so, um, Jez, uh, last week, Publicist Group announced that its head of Futures and Insight, Tom Goodwin, would be leaving the company after he posted some rather problematic tweets about the coronavirus. Uh, can you tell us about what's happened here? Yes, this is quite an extraordinary story. I, I saw that the, the spokesperson of a publicist said that they'd uh, that Tom had breached Publicist Group principles of unity, empathy, and humanity, which is terribly Gallic. I thought. Um, what happened is that Tom Goodwin, who many of the listeners will know is um, he would hate to be called uh, a, um, a contrarian, but he's certainly a provocateur. He um, he works at, or worked at Publicist Media. 
uh, he was posting about uh, the COVID crisis in the States and that perhaps it, the media had overblown it and was spending too much time talking about it rather than the other issues, um, such as, you know, the knock-on effects having on treatment of cancer and other diseases. And he got into a bit of a barney uh, with, with um, Tom Morton, who's a chief strategy officer at RGA. He's a fellow Brit. Goodwin is well known for his provocative points of view, as I say. Um, I say he wouldn't want to be called a contrarian, although I have seen him... Um, being contradictory himself uh, on a couple of times on social media. Right. Uh, but anyway, what, what happened is that uh, he posted this thing, Tom Tom Morton took offence to it, and uh, Goodwin fired back with a bit of a volley of personal abuse. So it was a proper rant. And, uh, you know, understandably, Tom Morton, who's quite a gentle soul, retweeted this to his followers and said, I don't think I'll be doing business with um, with Tom Goodwin anymore. Mm. The long and short of it is that, as I say, publicists uh, got rid of him because he breached their, uh, their, 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 their ethics. Yeah, do you think it was more to do with his uh, his his tone and his aggressiveness, or um, uh, were his points about the uh, coronavirus seen as beyond the pale? I hope it's to do with his tone, because I don't think you you know you shouldn't really speak to people, especially other professionals in your business. I'm not a, a rival from you know from a, from a different firm. He's got the same job title as you. I think, as I say, he's built his uh, his personal brand using social media, and I'm and I'm, I'm and I'm not saying he's not. Uh, a, a smart person because he is, but he certainly built his brand using social media and has become increasingly provocative. And you know that's that's I think challenging the orthodoxy is a good thing. But I think when you stoop to personal insults, you're going to get called out. And no no individual's bigger than bigger than um, the, the publicist media or publicist group. So he got found out. I'm sure. Yeah, it sounds like he publicists had given him a fair amount of license in the past to uh, to operate in the way that he wanted to on social media. And um, he just uh, took took it too far on this case. Yeah, I think he got hot, got hot headed, and got carried away. And I think now he's, um, you know, he's reaping what he sows. Yeah. So, do we know what he's got planned uh, for the the next stage of his career? Well, credit, you know, all credit to him. He hasn't deleted his original tweets. Uh, he has been slightly contrite briefly um, on 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 Twitter. He doesn't like people calling him a contrarian. He says it's not contrarianism, it's vigour. So he's sort of standing by his point. So what he's doing now, he's, he's set up a new uh, a new consultancy, he calls it, called um, All We Have Is Now. Now, I don't know if that's just a reflection of his personal circumstances since losing his job, but um, that's what he's called it. Uh, he, the descriptor of the, uh, of the business is, we are robust personalities unleashing the power of disagreement. And I think he's certainly been... Um, you know, he's acknowledged the fact that he's caused a bit of a bit of a stir, and he's, you know, he's got a robust personality that causes a disagreement. And, and do you think that that kind of approach is is something that um, there is a is a place for? You know, maybe perhaps slightly toned down. I think probably so. I mean, he's got a big fan base on social media, uh, and that partly, you know, not everyone agrees with him. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's good to have those different voices on there. Uh, whether he is uh, employable by an agency in the short term is a different matter because of the, the personal nature of his attack on Tom Morton. Uh, but I'm sure some brands will find his particular brand of um, contrarianism that stroke rigour uh, attractive. I mean, he similar to the publicist statement and the, the French national lotto, he's come up with a, a three-word um, describe descriptor for his new agency. It's culture change, innovation, transformation. Okay, that's four words, but you, you get my point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, of course, um, uh, as you say, aside from his own personal circumstances, it's a very challenging time for, for anyone who's looking for a new employment opportunity in, in agencies and in fact in, in most other areas of the 
of the economy. And hopefully that's something we'll, uh, we'll emerge from sooner rather than later. Okay, so uh, over to this week's ads. So um, uh, this week we're talking about uh, two new ads for um, Coca-Cola from 72 and sunny Amsterdam uh, and um, for Barclay Card from Droga 5 London. Uh, both of these feature uh, central performances from uh, charismatic um, uh, figures. Uh, so um, let's look at Coca-Cola first. Uh, it's called Open Like Never Before. Um, and uh, it features um, a piece from the spoken word artist, George the Poet. Stop. Wait. Who says we have to go back to normal? Back to anything? What if the new normal ain't the normal we knew? And we can't just do what we'd formally do? What if the biggest change is you and me? What if we choose to be Jez, what do you think about this one? I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't think I love it because it's Coca-Cola. I love it because it's George the Poet. Um, he wrote, uh, a poet's role is to provide thoughtful social commentary. Uh, and he's certainly done that. Uh, the fact that Coca-Cola's paid him to do it, brilliant. Um, will it make me more like to drink Coke? No. Is it a lovely ad? Yes. Is George Poet a genius? Yes. I love it. Do you think, um, what, what, what does it say about Coke's brand personality? What's the thinking behind um, uh putting this kind of piece out there? I don't know. I mean, Coca-Cola, sometimes it has such a, you know, it takes so many different strategies. Some of them work, some of them don't. Some of them are disasters and some of them are brilliant. That's why I never know what Coca-Cola's true voice is. But if they stuck to creating work like this, then they're onto a surefire winner, I think. What do you think? Yeah, I, uh, I agree with everything you said, actually. I think it's it's really uh, terrific. It's, it's very engaging. It's quite funny in, in places and, and moving. Um, and uh, it does say something about the, the situation we're in, we're in at the moment. It's just a beautifully written piece of poetry. And as I say, I don't know whether Coca-Cola commissioned it. I very much doubt it. But it's the fact that it's, you know, people can listen to it and it's open to you know, mass media, accessible, is, is a wonderful thing, I think. Yeah, I do agree that, you know, whether it tells us much about Coca-Cola is, is a harder question to answer. But um, I suppose on that very subtle, subliminal level, uh, it can't do them any harm. Um so, um, Barclay Card, a homemade film by Droga 5 London. Uh, this one stars uh, Stephen Graham, the, the star of uh, shows like Line of Duty and, and This Is England, uh, various other things. All right. My name's Stephen Graham. You know, with films on old, actors like me have a lot of time on our hands. So, when Barclay Card asked me to explain the good things about that app, I thought, I'll just make my own film. I mean... How hard can it be? And uh, how about this, Jazz? What do you think of this one? Um, I'm, I'm afraid I absolutely love this one too. I'm, I must be in a terribly good mood. Now, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. It's, I mean, it's from Droga Five. Barclay Card have done a couple of great ads um, last year in the Crystal Barn, in particular, um, and then the Upside Down House. And they were both funny. This one is overtly funny, thanks to the performance of, of Stephen Graham, who I never knew he was such a fine comedy actor, and. I, I, I've written a piece, or I did a piece recently about how comedy was lacking in, in advertising. And this is just blown out of the water. So what, what did you think of it? Yeah, again, um, uh, on board with with, uh, with your thoughts there. Um, I, I think it's a nice one that um, has something to say about um, this year's sort of unique experiences, but it's really, really making the most of the, the talent that they've got there. He is a brilliant actor. He's obviously known for his uh, gritty parts, but of course he's, he's played a number of... Um, American characters as well as uh, doing uh, parts in his his native Scouse. 
Um, and uh, it's it's great to see it jumping backwards and forwards between them, you know, the, the various tricks he's got up his sleeve. It's clearer to the brand association of Bolton Cardi. It's not clunky or anything like that, but you can. it sort of makes more sense than George Depot and Coca-Cola. Yeah, I absolutely love this sport. I think it's brilliant. So, yeah, two really, really strong pieces of work this week. Um, and um, it's good to see those after, I think, in the early stages of the pandemic, uh, I think we saw quite a few brands struggling with how to, uh, to do work that was appropriate and they could actually produce. Um, and to see some great creativity now coming out of uh, these unique circumstances that's that's really uh reassuring okay uh, well that's all we have time for this week on the campaign podcast thanks very much to jeremy lee uh, and to our guests earlier caroline ben and ed and of course to you for listening in we'll be back soon with another episode um so be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player today and be the first to hear it thank you